Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Weekend Review Podcast on Friday, July the 16th. In this week's edition, we're going to talk again about the third surge, or what appears to be a third surge of the coronavirus in Arkansas. We'll also talk about political news in the state, including Jake Baquette's campaign to unseat U.S. Senator John Bozeman. And we'll talk about the continuing fallout related to Walter Hussman's relationship with the University of North Carolina Journalism School. I am joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Hello. So we've we've talked in depth about it the last three weeks. Things get keep getting worse, as predicted. That uh, the Delta variant is is raging in Arkansas. National news has descended on the state to to cover it because. We're the hot spot in the country right now. Yeah, I guess for three days running, Arkansas has been number one on the seven-day rolling average of most new cases, which is not a great place to be. And you know, I, one of the but I, as somebody has said, cases are one thing and they're bad, but the hospitalization is the real problem. Uh, we have more than tripled the number of people in hospitals from COVID nineteen in in less than two months. And it's up to 660 or so today. And a third of those are in ICU with half of those who are in ICU on ventilators. When you get this Delta variant, you get very sick if you haven't been vaccinated. Now, there's a small number of vaccinated people, breakthrough cases, but they they don't seem here or nationally to develop the illness nearly as badly as those who have not been vaccinated. And uh, I, I really give credit to the health professionals in Arkansas, particularly at UAMS, which has been the source of a continuing string of very strong statements about how serious the situation is. And, and you might say, well, gosh, you would expect health people to do that. And of course you do. But this has become such a political issue that speaking out about the dangers of practices that are essentially mandated by law in Arkansas. You may not have mask mandates. You may not have vaccination passports. You can't mandate vaccinations. Uh, is almost a political statement. Uh, science means nothing to Trent Garner and Gary Stubblefield and all of the sheep in the legislature that went along with these laws that said we, we, we simply are not going to have emergency health directives. We're not going to have mask mandates. We're not going to have vaccine mandates. People are free to make their own choice. And unfortunately, in Arkansas, the choices have been pretty bad. And again, and I think I've said before, there are undoubtedly some people who have, number one, they have immune problems that it may not be safe to take the vaccine. There, there's some small subset of numbers with legitimate excuses. But I don't think there's any doubt from what we're seeing and reading that the biggest reason for resistance is is political, that, that between the Fox News echo chamber and other sources getting the shot has now more or less a uh, representative whether you're for Donald Trump or not. Even though Donald Trump got the vaccine, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't talk about it loudly. And we have this amazing thing of while our death rate is rising, our case rate is rising, our health workers are stretched to their limit. We have people like Trent Garner bragging about his legislation. It's, as somebody said on Twitter today, he's dancing on the grave of dead people. So it's I, I don't well. know the way out of it. My only hope really is a terrible hope, and that is that 
some of these terrible cases that are coming to the fore of particularly of children, the high number of children who are contracting this. It's not an old people's illness at all anymore. Uh, it's become a, a, there are people on ventilators at children's hospital. This is this is a serious thing with school year coming. And the only good piece of news I saw today was is that they say that in some of the states that have the leading number of new cases, that recent vaccination rates have been higher than in other states. Now, I don't know if that's just a math anomaly that because we have a so much bigger pool that naturally there are some more people getting shots all because our daily rate isn't that high. I mean, it's five, averaging about 5,000 a day and be a long time before we reach 80% at that level. So, so I don't know, but I do think it's, it's causing people there's a sort of a rump movement to get the legislature to reconvene and, and repeal the mandate law. I don't think that's going to happen. Too many cowards out there for one thing and too many idiots on the other hand. Uh, but, but it's causing a lot of people to rethink people are putting their masks back on when they go to the grocery store, they're rethinking, taking trips. It's, uh, and cases are rising nationwide. This Delta variant's a bitch. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, Politics and public health colliding. Uh, that 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 happened in a noteworthy way this week with a series of tweets from Surgeon General Greg Bledsoe, who's also an ER <laughs> doctor at the Arkansas Heart Hospital and a candidate for lieutenant governor uh, uh, for the Republican Party. He he started with a, a long thread based on what he was seeing as an ER doctor and what colleagues around the state that was good. It, it was a, a you know bleak picture of what's going on and that got him some attention. And I, I think you you know complimented him for, for uh, speaking out, but then he went way off the rails. I don't know how else to say it, but he showed his ass, you know and, and I think it was politics. I think he decided he was too far out there in favor of vaccination. And in his heart of hearts, he clearly believes it's the proper thing to do and that science demands that more people get the shot. But he's running for lieutenant governor. He's running against, I mean, some of the zaniest people out there. I mean, Jason Rape would lead, lead among them. And I think he just got afraid about being too far out there on the vaccine. And so he had to come up with an excuse for it. And his excuse was, for the reason people aren't getting vaccinated, was that it's conservatives are tired of liberals talking down to them about guns and sex and abortion and whatever else. And so they're just not going to get a shot because libs are so mean. It was the craziest bunch of shit I've ever seen. And he stuck with it for several days. He just wouldn't let go of it. And, and, and you know, all of, the, all of the assessment of this is, is that the biggest reason for vaccine hesitancy is political tribalism that's all and and he, he's just torn between being a doctor and being a trumper and he's decided like all the candidates have to be a trumper and so he's trying he's walking this thin line between being a doctor and being a trumper and it's uh not not an easy easy line to to stay on almost kind of funny i don't think he's got a shot at winning by the way so it may not matter you you had an item about uh, politicians, Republican politicians coming out in favor of vaccinations or encouraging supporters to get vaccinated. 
Uh, obviously, the governor is, has been pushing it. Uh, Leslie Rutledge has said that she's vaccinated, though she's certainly not making it a big campaign. We haven't heard from uh, from her opponent, Sarah Sanders. That I no. Know. Well, of course, there's silence from Sarah Sanders on everything related directly to Arkansas. I mean, she she gives no interviews. She makes no public appearances except in very carefully controlled Republican donor events. And her, her campaign releases and her mailings are all about the crisis at the border and abortion and taxes and riding black people and what have you. And so, but you would think she would recognize there's a crisis in this state and and say something about what she might do different than the current governor or or different than Leslie Rutledge to do something about it. And we're all we get from her is crickets, nothing. It's not exactly leadership. I don't think she thinks she needed, you know, she's reported this week that she's raised $9 million so far, a record for governor's race with many more millions to come. Uh, she downplayed the fact that two thirds of her money came from out of state and didn't didn't make much of the fact that a report shows that, again, she's spending a lot of money holding fundraising events in Mar-a-Lago where she taps Trumpistas for, for money. And the problem, of course, is, is while this might be something a Democrat would say is a negative, it might not be a negative in Arkansas to be that closely identified with Trump. Certainly in the Republican primary, I don't think you're going to find Leslie Rutledge beating her up for raising money at Mar-a-Lago. Well, let's go ahead and segue into uh, our second topic since we've already kind of started into it. We had uh, quarterly uh, campaign finance reports this week. Sanders' big haul was kind of the highlight. The other big uh, political news was the entry into the U.S. Senate to the Republican primary of Jake Beckett, who's a former Arkansas Razorback star and an uh, Army veteran. Yeah, he's kind of a photogenic Tom Cotton, you know, the same same old set plus plus with a football letter behind his name. Uh, it's a slick campaign opening, and he clearly has a bunch of money behind him. And I, I wrote several months ago about this little philanthropic organization he set up to hand out money to b- struggling businesses to earn some good publicity, and he just got a torrent of good publicity about it. What I wrote about that nobody else has picked up on is there seems to be a thread between these types of organizations. They've been set up in several states and they have a, they've often had the, the fingerprints of, a, of some GNR hedge fund guy or some huge financier. And I wouldn't, he's a big conservative Republican and I wouldn't be surprised if that, that explains some of where Beckett's backing is coming from. He hadn't had to file a campaign finance report yet. But the funny thing was, he has some really slick TV and a lot of it on multiple topics. And, of course, it features the fact that he served in the Army in Iraq and that he was a Razorback star and played for the New England Patriots. But two funny things already have happened. I mean, he's uh, he's kind of over-egged the pudding a little bit. Number one, he, he got a, his first ad has a picture of him kissing the Super Bowl trophy and said something about winning the Super Bowl. Well... It's an L.A. Times columnist pointed out uh, he didn't play a down in the season. The Patriots won the Super Bowl, and he certainly didn't play in the Super Bowl game. So I guess except for the fact that he was uh, tackle dummy fodder for the real Patriots, he didn't have much to 
much to do about their winning the, the Super Bowl. But the other thing was, is he's basically been sent a cease and desist letter from the University of Arkansas on using Razorback trade dress in his ads. He's got film of him in the Razorback uniform playing football for the Razorbacks and sacking people and what have you. And and at this point, it sounds like he doesn't intend to stop doing it. Uh, his response so far is, I was a Razorback. I'm proud of being a Razorback. Two things about this. One, John Bozeman, the senator he hopes to unseat, was a Razorback football player, too. The first time he ran in 2010, he ran some ads of him as a Razorback, and the University of Arkansas objected, and he promptly took the ads down. That has not been Beckett's response. The other thing I have to say, though, is, is you know, I've always thought the UA was far more zealous than it needed to be about trademark protection. I understand why they are rightfully concerned that use of Razorbackism in political ads makes it look like they're endorsing someone. But, you know, it's kind of like copyright law. I think if you take a picture of a movie of somebody playing football, I mean, I, I don't think that's copyrightable. I mean, it's it's uh, it seems to me fair use of uh, of an image that exists in real life. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, that's there may be law on it. And, and I, I, I'm far more resentful of these guys that 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 trade in their military service. That, again, is something you're not supposed to do. But he has a little disclaimer about this doesn't mean that I've been endorsed by the Army or anything like that. But anyway, I, I think he's one of these last refuge of a scoundrel guys. He's just got down pat all the Trump lines. Although he also screwed up by initially in a Democrat Gazette interview refusing to say what happened to Capitol January 6th was a bad thing. Two different occasions he just wouldn't say. And then finally, afterwards, thought better of it, called the reporter back and said in a statement that, well, yes, they should arrest people who did violent things that day. <laughs> I mean, these are these are uh, perhaps just a sign of his uh, lack of political experience. I don't, I don't know, but oh, in any event. Terrible. <laughs> no, he's, I mean, he just, as I say, he looks like a, a better looking Tom Cotton and, and so on in some ways more dangerous really so i don't know maybe maybe he's maybe there are other people in that race by the way jan morgan you know the crazy gun range lady uh who's running against bozeman too uh has already called uh, beckett out for being wishy-washy on the january 6th thing the jan morgan those were patriots trying to protect the republic and of course she's bad on bozeman because bozeman has blamed trump for a little bit of what happened that day and she's out there saying man both for the person that absolutely defends the insurrection. <laughs> so it, it, could be, it could be an interesting race. And, and there's some Brush Arbor preacher in the race, too, I think, who says he's still in it. So he'll get a few votes. The, the Republican primary will be entertaining, if nothing else. All right. Well, uh, it was in some ways a busy news week, but in, in others a, a bit slow. And so for our last topic, this is not especially important <laughs> to, to Arkansas, but uh, it's of interest to us. And yes. that is the continuing fallout related to 
to Walter Hussman and, and the Nicole Hannah Jones debacle at the University of North Carolina Journalism School. Uh, Jones, uh, of course, uh, Hannah Jones uh, declined offer of tenure that was late in coming from UNC and took a position at Howard instead. But that uh, has not spelled the end of the, the saga for Hussman at UNC. No, or at UNC in general. The, the, the journalism faculty is particularly upset about what happened. And they've turned a lot of their ire toward Walter Hussman, the publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who, who gave the school a $25 million gift in return for getting the school named after him. And it also required the school to post his statement of core values about his objectivity on the journalism school. Well, the, the faculty had a town hall meeting this week and said they didn't like that statement of core values without some explanation about Hussman. And uh, so they took it off the website. And there's going to be further discussions about the version of it that's posted in the school. It also developed from a finally fulfilled uh, information request that what Hussman himself said was a $25 million gift in his own newspaper. Well, it wasn't exactly a $25 million gift just right now. It turns out it's a gift of $1.3 million a year for nine years that began in 2019. And then $12.5 million is to be paid out over five years, but only after the death of Hussman and his wife. So at a minimum, we're talking it'll take 14 years for the $25 million to be paid. Probably longer since Walter and Ben Hussman seem to be pretty healthy and look like they've got a lot of years ahead of them. So you know, the present value of money is a lot different than the future value of money. Uh, it's a, worth a lot more now than it is later. So $25 million gift, well, maybe there was a little exaggeration there. But the bigger issue is the, the journalism faculty said Wednesday this week that they felt that Husband had made the school look bad by what he'd done. And a lot of people have taken exception to his talk about journalistic objectivity because Number one, his paper is is obviously a conservative newspaper, which is fine, just like the New York Times is obviously a liberal newspaper. But objectivity is in the eye of the beholder. Any decision about news judgment is is not an objective decision. It's informed by your own beliefs of what's important, what's not important. And to say uh, the best you can hope to do is try and be fair. And, and and that's fine, but it's just he's he's set a standard that he hasn't lived at his own newspaper, certainly not 15 years of employing an opinion columnist who also ran the news operation and then hired a, and then and then hired another editor who who uh, set about trying to rewrite the Little Rock School desegregation history and, and venerated every year with front page treatment of a, a Confederate traitor in Little Rock. So. You know, I mean, the notion that that there's a line between news and opinion, his paper hadn't represented it very well, including an ongoing coverage of a variety of topics, including public education. But he continues to defend. Uh, he says he's going to stick by his gift, for one thing, and, and he continues to defend talking to the journalism dean, talking to a member of the board of trustees, talking to a university financial affairs guy and talking to others. And objecting to Nicole Hannah-Jones, he insists that was not pressure. That was just merely an alumni passing along information he gained. And I think another thing happened this week that, to me, tells a lot about where Hussman's coming from. And, and that is 
I mean, he was just, he's offended by Nicole Hannah-Jones telling of history. And it's her point of view, and he's offended by it. And he support their newspaper this week, editorially yesterday, came out in favor specifically of the Oklahoma law, which is similar to one passed in Arkansas, that is meant to prevent discussion of divisive racial concepts. Their editorial said, well, it won't prevent anybody from talking about the Lane Massacre or whatever. Well, it will. It, it will precisely because the law in Oklahoma says, for example, if any of these discussions make somebody feel uncomfortable, you can't do it. Well, you would hope an honest person would feel uncomfortable reading about how we slaughtered Native Americans and taking over the North American continent. I, I certainly look back on how my family treated people of color when I was a child, and they were of the benevolent type, but paternalistic, certainly. You know, not bone-deep racist, but just sort of paternalist, the, the good overseers, you know? And it makes me uncomfortable thinking about it, and I wish I had my life to live over again. I don't. So the notion that you can talk about these things, and no teacher has to tell you how you should feel, it's just a matter of talking about some of these unpleasant things are going to lead to lead to interesting feelings and perhaps evolution, which is what it's all about. The other thing is, is, is there was some great testimony in Oklahoma from a high school student, a black high school student, saying this stuff isn't being taught now. I mean, the notion, I guarantee you, if you took a survey of Arkansas high school students, the percentage that would know would be able to answer the most basic question about the Elaine massacre would be a very small minority. And so anything that, and for a newspaper to come out in favor of a law that expressly limits free expression, that seems inimical to the American ideal of journalism, it seems to me. But I mean, I, I of course, am a former competitor, current competitor after a fashion, and put it down to sour grapes, if you will. But I think you can boil it all down to this. I don't think Hussman, if he ever envisioned the day that he was going to be an annual speaker and bask in the glory of his journalism school, that that day is going to rise anytime soon. He uh, <laughs> he kind of he dumped in his mess kit on this one, I think. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? Well, I actually went somewhere this week and I, it, it, with, with some great trepidation, but it was safe, and I, and I recommend it. Uh, the ref is back in business, and I'm glad they are. And I just think Will Trice will do great things there if we can just get past the pandemic as its director. But they've begun a series of outdoor productions. And uh, the first one was Maria and Rosetta. And it's the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp, the Arkansas-born, bluesy, rocker, gospel singer, and, and her protege, Marie Knight, I think was her name. And it's a two-person show, and they sing, and it's kind of the life story of Sister Rosetta interspersed with songs. They did it; they're doing it in a tent at uh, War Memorial Park, uh, and it's the seats are kind of socially distanced, and it's a, it's a limited seating, maybe I don't know, seventy-five seats, maybe at the most, I think. Some talented musicians on piano and guitar filling the instrumental roles. And just really some great singing and a good story. And it's a 90-minute show. And it was a little warm and there were a few bugs. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Uh, a lot of the nights have been sold out. It runs through August the 1st. But I, I, I recommend without reservation going to see Maria and Rosetta if you get a chance. 
All right. Uh, well, I'll endorse uh, a movie that you can watch on Hulu. It's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, it, is, it stars Kristen Wiig and someone else who I believe is on Saturday Night Live um, as these uh, middle-aged best friends who go on a vacation to Vista Del Mar and craziness ensues. But This is really weird that you would recommend that. I thought I would love that movie. It sounded like it was written for me. Ellen and I started watching it. And we just couldn't stay to the end. I thought yeah. it was terrible. I thought it was terrible. I wondered if you would like it. I loved it. It 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 gets it gets goofy in places, but uh, it may just depend on whether you like Kristen Wiig or not. Well, I love Kristen Wiig, and that was part of the deal. I I just I just thought it was too weird and strange, and <laughs> I I just we we just both looked at each other and said that's it. I've seen enough. <laughs> okay, well, there's our point counterpoint right now. <laughs> Listener, I mean, my, my apologies. I mean, that that movie just had my name written all over. I thought from the from the summary to the characters to silly comedy to what you know, and I thought, and boy, it just it didn't it didn't turn out that way. Anyway, so different strokes. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a throwback to some of the 80s and 90s Saturday Night Live movies that, uh, you know, kind of had a, a gag that maybe was a little bit familiar from Saturday Night Live and then some plot elements that were just totally nutty, way far from reality. And if you just kind of went with it, you know, it didn't all and, work. And, may, and maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Maybe I'm just too literal. I don't know. Yeah, but it, it, it's real goofy and, and real out there. So, all right. Well, uh, take, take that for, for what it is. Yeah, for what, can, consider the source when it comes to me. I'm, I'm no movie critic, that's for sure. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back next week. We'll see you.